We're now going to read from God's Word. So if you've got a Bible to hand, uh, do join me in flipping to Psalms, is it Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep in, into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout, through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is God's word. Thank you, Callum. As we come to God's word tonight, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you tonight and we ask that by your spirit you would work in us, that as we look in your word and unpack it tonight, that, Father, we would be changed as a result, that, Father, we would leave here tonight more in the likeness of Jesus, not by any words that I say, but your power working in us to transform us by your powerful word. Be with us tonight as we look at this great psalm. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I spend a good amount of my time listening 
to music these days. When I'm working at home, headphones in, blasting out a real eclectic mix of songs, some that would be a real embarrassment if I was to project them onto the screen for you to see behind me. But music and songs, at least for me, have always been something that had the ability to move me emotionally. And it's a powerful medium in our world. Just think of the adverts we see on TV. In particular, cast your mind to the John Lewis adverts you see around Christmas time. Millions of pounds spent to perfectly craft a minute-long video with nostalgic rehashings of old songs that tug on your heartstrings. And you sit on the couch watching reruns of Tagger, and you see this advert with tears streaming down your face as a dog bounces on a trampoline in front of you. Remove the music, remove the words of the song that's being sung, and you're just watching a fairly strange video being enacted in front of you. The music serves as a backdrop to involve you emotionally, to manipulate you even, into associating yourself so much with that brand that you may even spend a whole lot of money on an overpriced stuffed penguin for Christmas. Spend 20 minutes on YouTube searching popular Christian songs or listening to your favorite kind of Christian worship playlist on Spotify, and you will unfortunately see the same principles applied to song praise and worship in churches around the world. Bright light shows, energetic, young, good-looking bands, emotionally evocative, anthemic music designed to entertain and whip up the viewers into emotional frenzies. If you turn the music off and read the words of the, the, words of the song being sung and watch the performance of the musicians, you're left just as puzzled as you would be watching that John Lewis dog bounce on the trampoline. And why do we start there tonight? Why is that important? Because when your worship and praise of God, when we sing together in a church as a congregation is based on just how you feel or how the music makes you feel, you're heading down a dangerous path. And in Psalm 33, we are commanded as God's people to sing joyfully to the Lord. But what happens when you're in a difficult place? A strained relationship, stressed out with work. Kids who are just being disobedient will not listen to you no matter what you say. And they go out their way to be disobedient. What then when you come to church not feeling like praising God today? That's why... Purely emotional-based worship experience is not where we start. When it comes to praising God through song and music, it starts with declaring the truth about what we know about God, which then in turn causes our emotions to be stirred in joyful praise and adoration to Him. And here in Psalm 33, we're going to unpack the reasons why we are called to joyous praise, why we always have a new song to sing, and why we do this as a church together. So those are the three things we're going to look at tonight. Firstly, let's look at a joyful a call to joyous praise in the first three verses. 
verses 1 to 3, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. The psalm starts by giving us a clear instruction as to what we are to do, who is to do it, and how we are to do it. It starts with an action, a command, an instruction to sing joyfully. In fact, if you open the ESV, it says to shout for joy, and I think that encapsulates and captures better the sense of exuberant and loud praise that is being asked for here in this first command. Notice as well, this opening, in call, this opening call in one to three is bookended with that very same command to underline its importance. And notice with me to whom this command is addressed. Who is to act upon this command to joyous praise? Just a few people of certain backgrounds, of status, those who are good enough to be a soloist in the Royal Scottish National Chorus, or those who are just feeling like worshipping and praising God today. No. We see right away it is addressed to you righteous. This is an all-inclusive of those who are God's people, his chosen people, who are to raise their voices in song together with great joy and loud shouts and exuberant praise. It's interesting as you read through the Bible at the commands that God gives his people. Do you know what some of the most common ones are? Here's a few. Praise the Lord. Rejoice. Give uh, give thanks. In fact, we are commanded over 50 times to sing or praise him. Furthermore, singing is referenced well over 300 times in the Bible. And thanks to Keith and Kirsten Getty for their book, Sing, that led me to those facts. God has set out a command to sing, a command to praise him. And it's a sad thing to say, but congregational singing, the act of lifting our voices together as one in praise of God, is not as widespread as we may think or hope even before this pandemic started, which really put a stop to that for the last 18 months. I've been to churches where the music has been absolutely banging, for lack of a better term. The musicians have played so skillfully. Some of them are even paid professional musicians to do that. The words have been so powerful, full of truth about God, yet if you turn down the volume, you would hardly hear any of God's people raise their voices above a whimper. Why? There may be a few reasons, but one of which could be because to many, we don't come to meet with God's people with a right expectation of what we meet to do week by week, Sunday by Sunday. Especially when it comes to singing. In many cases, it's seen as Christian entertainment, something I consume and enjoy, but requires no real active participation or involvement from me. Where does this come from? Where does this trend come from? Well, I wonder whether or not it's come from the way in which churches have become more productionized in their worship and their Sunday services. People directing the stage craft and the direction, bright lights, all to provide a more immersive experience for the attendee. 
bit of a show. What the world wants, what we think the world wants to be able to consume when they come into our church. So I say this in as much to those involved in the music and any upfront ministry as I do to everybody here tonight and listening online. What happens on this platform below, or even more from this pulpit, is not entertainment. It's not something we come to listen to and be passive in. It's not a talent show, a place where people come to show off the gifts that they have been given. Those who lead here with their voices, with their instruments, do so in order that God's people build one another up in the gospel through declaring the word of God to one another. But be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and forever to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another our reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. One of the greatest ways we can build one another up is to sing biblical truth to one another. Singing binds us together in a corporate act of praise. Like as a country, we join in the national anthem proclaiming our allegiance to our nation. We as God's people sing affirming what we believe, uplifting praise and thanks and our longings to God in unity. And the music that is used to accompany the shouts of praise to God is appropriate. It reflects the words being sung, going along with the melodic line, adding depth and meaning to the words, but never taking over or distracting attention away from what is being sung and to whom we are singing to. Sometimes I think we can be too quiet and reserved in our sung worship. I remember when I was on a year out between school and university, I went off to coach football down in Leeds. And during that year, I went to lots of different churches around uh, the UK and, I, and, and the local area. For that year, I bunked with a guy from Northern Ireland who was from a very similar background to me. It was a pleasure, a conservative Baptist background. We had some great chats together, and together we went to so many churches from the super conservative to real charismatic, and what a real mix of joyful song we witnessed as we went around the place. Brothers and sisters in Christ singing joyfully, dancing, praising God together as they met as a church. And you know what? In the beginning, we sang quietly, tried not to make too much eye contact with those there. Hands in our pockets as we thought we could sing joyfully like that in the praise of him. I was like, this isn't for me to be involved in this way in worship in such a way. I didn't want to praise God like that. That joyful outpouring was not for me, but as I reflect, how wrong I was. Because as we are about to see, as we get into the meat of what we have to look at tonight, we are never short of a new song of praise to sing to the Lord. And that should cause our hearts to be stirred. Our faces to delight and our hearts and our bodies to be moved to praise him with joy and with great happiness. So we are called here 
to joyous praise. And secondly, we always have a new song to sing. And we'll spend most of our time in the second point tonight, so don't get worried as time ticks by. We'll get there. But we'll spend most of our time here. So in verses 4 through to the end of 19, the psalmist points to four main reasons we have to joyfully sing as we look to the past, as we look to the present, and as we look to the future. So four reasons to always sing a new song of praise to God. Firstly, we sing a joyful praise to God for his character in verses four to five. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. In verses four and five, we start with the foundations. We start with the basics, the fundamental characteristics of who God is, which is specifically shown through the power of his word, which is right and true. What does being right and true mean? He is without falsehoods. He is never deceitful. He will never lead you astray. What he says he will do, he will do. He is faithful in all things. You may say to me, well, that's great you saying that. It just trips off the tongue. But how do you know that God is faithful? Well, one way is to look to the past. Open your Bible and read through the story of God's people and the promises made by God to them, and then the fulfillment of those promises, and you will start to see God's faithfulness. That what he says, he does. But not only can we look back through God's words, but we can also look back and see his faithfulness to us. The times where we have cried out to him in prayer, bringing our requests before him, and then we've seen him answer them in many ways. As humans, but really as selfish, inward-looking sinners, how easily, we for, how easily are we so wrapped up in the here and now that we forget past evidences of God's grace in our lives. And those answered prayers that we have seen. And we don't rightly give God the glory and the praise that is fitting for him to receive as a result. But in this section, not only do we see that God's God's word is right and true. We not only see that he is faithful, but he also loves righteousness and justice. So often, as well as forgetting to give God the glory and praise and the evidence of his grace in our lives, when we find ourselves way down with burden and sin, when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to, we can start to grumble. We heard this last Sunday night from Colin. He preached about God's people grumbling. How is this right? How is this part of God's plan his will? God can't love me if this is how it's working out. We can easily forget the truth that we sing together. Ascribe greatness to our God the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. 
we need to look no further than the cross, where we see God's justice carried out as Jesus took the punishment we deserve for our sin, our rebellion against him. Punishment for sin served by his grace, not on us, but on Jesus, the righteous one. We know the truth of who he is. We see the evidence of this in his word and in our lives. Therefore, we sing praises to him because of his never-changing character. Secondly, we sing joyful praise to God for he is the creator. Let's look at verses 6 to 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Verse 6 starts off by stating, by the word of the Lord. Notice that the word here is the very same word we have just spoken about in terms of God's nature. That very same word, which is right and true, in verse 4, is the word with which spoke creation into being. It's interesting as you reflect on the act of creation when you read through Genesis. For those of us who have been Christians for a while, we can often skim through the creation narrative. And dare I say, doing that, it loses the impact of revealing the supernatural and awesome power of our creator. And I'm reading this book at the moment called God of All Things by someone called Andrew Wilson, which goes through the everyday things in the Bible and shows us how the seemingly insignificant are filled with meaning and worth. And in this chapter on dust, of which God creates man, he says this. In some Egyptian and Akkadian creation stories, humans are described as made out of clay which you can kind of imagine. Most of us with a bit of practice could form clay into something that looks pretty much like a person. But you could never do that with dust. The most complex shape I could make out of dust would be a pile. And even then, it would be instantly scattered by a gust of wind. What causes a bunch of particles to come together into human beings is not any property inherent in the bunch of particles. It is nothing less than the breath of the Lord, which animates the dust and causes it to become a living soul. Without the breath of God, we're nothing more than a pile on the floor. And with it, we are the bearers of the divine image. God is so powerful, so majestic, so glorious, so mighty, so imaginably big, that not only did he create us, but for him the oceans are but a jam jar. Therefore, let all the earth fear the Lord and revere him and give him the glory and the honor that he deserves. When you come to church and meet with your brothers and sisters and when we sing, and we will sing next week when we come together, we need to remind ourselves of who we're singing to. We sing joyfully as he is the one who formed us, knitted us together in our mother's wombs, who gave us life. He 
He is our creator. He is our ruler. And he is worthy of our praises. Thirdly, we sing joyful praise to God for his activity as we look at verses 13 to 15. Let's read them as we look at them. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chooses for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all. He considers everything they do. Not only is God the God of creation that act of bringing life from nothing. He is also the God who is actively working out his purposes in the present. What a truth we can meditate on in verse 11. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Imagine for a moment that your plans never went wrong. Everything you set out to do, you can do. Everything you want to accomplish being accomplished, but not only being accomplished, being accomplished in the way that you want them to be accomplished. So it is for God. We look around the world, we see war, we see famine, we see political uprising, natural disasters, we face pandemics, relationship issues, the loss of loved ones, and we shout out to God, why? We see governments and nations rise on principles that are contrary to the word of God and his creational order, and we ask God, why? How can we be a people who sing with joy when we experience this in our world? But we look back at the promises of God, and we know that the Lord foils the plans of the nations. The purposes of the people will not prevail because the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. We may struggle to see through the pain and the suffering in the present, but we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose in Romans 8, 28. As you look at the reasons why we sing together in church, I could name quite a few, but that would be another week that we'd need to go into that. But one of the main ones is we do it to build up and encourage one another in our faith as we sing to each other. Which means that it's incredibly important that when we sing, the songs that we sing focus on God. They are full of biblical truth. They point sinners to the gospel and they are corporately very easily being able to be sung together. Because singing commits the biblical truth and the God's word into our lives in a way that makes it incredibly easy to remember. We read in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I can often struggle to memorize scripture. 
or asked me to sing a song from 15 years ago, probably quite an obscure one, I pretty, can make a pretty good go of being able to recite those words and maybe sing them kind of in the right tune back to you, no matter how trivial that song may have been. Why is that? Well, we could go into the scientific side of things. We're not going to go that deeply in it tonight, but we could see how we encode memories and then recall them. But to try and summarize a very complex subject, human memory is associative. We remember things more when they're associated with something else. And no more so when, when we look at music and lyrics. And the association doesn't stop there. I not only remember the words of many hymns myself, but also the specific instances of where I've sung them. And not only that, I remember the emotions that they invoked in me as I sang those songs. How often in times of difficulty do we end up recalling the words of hymns that remind us of God's sovereignty and his power over all things? This means that the content of what we sing is important. In the moments where you feel the weight of sin in your life, you cannot lift your weary head to God and you recall the words, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part by the whole, is nailed to a cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. The truth of God's word, turning inward sorrow into outward praise. And practically in this church, we try and sing a mix of modern and older songs, some that were written two, three, four, five hundred years ago, some that were maybe written last week. I do feel that many modern songs sung in churches focus on me, not really on God, focus on building emotion through music rather than through declaring biblical truth. But whatever those might be, whatever styles they might be, I'd like to encourage those who love modern band-led songs. When the organ is playing a 300, 400, 500-year-old hymn that plums the depth of theology through poetry that we sing at the top of our lungs and the top of our voices to the praise of God and to encourage the saints. And for those who love the older hymns played on the organ when the bands are on, sing loudly to the praise of God and to encourage the saint. The command is exactly the same. Sing joyfully. For God is active, looking down from heaven and seeing the praises of his people, considering all that they do. We have a reason to celebrate. We are God's chosen people, chosen to be his inheritance. And we know that will come to pass. For the plans of the Lord will stand firm forever. We joyfully sing to God for who he is as our creator and our ruler, as the one who is working out his purposes. And finally, we sing joyfully to the Lord as he is our deliverer. Let's read verses 16 to 19 together. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. 
But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Everyone in this world puts their hope in something, looking to something or someone to deliver them from their current situation. If we just spend another trillion dollars on new aircraft carriers, defense systems, robotic armies, that will save us from the threat of our neighboring country. If I just move jobs, cities, get a little bit more money, that will help me deliver me from the issues I'm facing. If I just had that one person in my life as my wife, my husband, or if I had kids, that would make me happy. Billionaires now realize that in their opinion, we may have stuffed up this planet so much that the face of the human race will be found in finding other planets to migrate to. Or transhumanism, which blends artificial intelligence to develop human enhancement technologies. All these things try and place their hope in us, that we can deliver ourselves. If only we could do this or that, swayed by the popular opinion of the day. But for the Christian, we know that true deliverance comes not from ourselves, but by the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see that throughout the Psalms, the repeated refrain of King David, the cry out to God for deliverance from his enemies. David knew that his reliance on the mercy and the grace and the power of God was more important than the size of his army. You could be the biggest, strongest, mightiest warrior but despite those attributes, when you come up against God's perfect will, plan, and purpose, that warrior will not be able to save themselves. Reliance on the world is in vain. It does not have the power to save. But for those whose eyes are on the Lord, those whose hope is in his unfailing love, God has the power to deliver them from death and keep them alive during famine. How glorious it is to read this psalm, not just in the light of the circumstances it was written in, the context it was written in, but through the prism of the gospel. We see not that this only points to deliverance from the enemies of God at the time, but now we see it points to the even greater deliverance from death into everlasting life, that though as sinners who are deserving of the punishment for our rebellion against God, that in his mercy, God sent Jesus, his son, into the world to live as a man, to die on a cross where he suffered and took that punishment that we justly deserved, then by his great power, three days later rising again, defeating death that we might be able to have that life as well. But when we stand before God on the day of judgment, we may stand before him blameless, pure, sinless, not through anything we have done ourselves, but wholly through what Jesus has done for us, delivering us from eternity without him. We sing for joy that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to this in here tonight or online, I ask you, what's stopping you from putting your faith in Jesus? 
who is the only one who can provide hope in this life and in death. Who is the great deliverer. You can do that tonight by calling out to him in prayer, saying sorry for rejecting him. Repent for your sins, which means turning away from it and turning towards God. And not only that, living for him, putting your hope and trust in the saving work of Jesus who died for you to take the punishment for the sin that you so justly deserve. Come to Jesus tonight and you, like those here who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you will have a joyous and joyful reason to praise him as well. As we draw to a close, Notice that the calling to joyous praise is not just as an individual, but it is for us corporately as God's people. The final section is an affirmation, a corporate expression of renewed vows of God's people to trust and hope in him. Whatever God's people are experiencing, whether famine, wars, hopelessness in the face of adversity, attack from society, because of who God is, because of God as the creator and the ruler, because he is actively working out his purposes, because he is our deliverer from death into life, what are we to do? We wait in hope. For he is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And we pray together, Lord, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. As we return to singing next week, and it will be a joy to do so, having not done it for so long, may our singing be full of joy to the praise of him. For the building up and encouraging of our brothers and sisters because no matter what we feel we can declare the truths that we know which means we always have a new song of praise to sing to our God then sings my soul let's pray together Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its transforming power. We praise you for you are our creator and our ruler. You're the one who created us. We should rejoice and praise you for that. We thank you that you are faithful, that your word is right and true. We thank you that you are working out your purposes in this world. And Father, most of all, we thank you that you are our great deliverer. Father, help us, no matter how we feel, to always know the joy that we have in declaring the truths that we know. And may we constantly be singing in praise and adoration to you and to encourage one another in our faith.
We thank you and we praise you, Lord, for our great Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.